If you were here a couple months ago when we were in uh, L.A., we sent back some uh, videos, some interviews of some of the people that we, were, that we had met and were ministering to there in the L.A. area. And one gal's testimony in particular, I think, it, uh, resonates with today's message. She's a young gal named Rose. She was, uh, had been in a lesbian relationship, and over a period of time, she had come out of that, and she, although she knew the Lord before, although she would say she knew the Lord before, uh, she, uh, she came to know Him in a much deeper and more real manner. Absolutely. And today's, today's message I think it's pretty much the story of Rose's life. Today we are looking, we're looking at a man who was looking for love. That's what Rose shared with us, that she was, what she was after was love. She, she knew that God was love. She was looking for a human being to love, and she thought she had found it. This particular man we are looking at today in Corinthians finds love in the arms of a woman. And knowing that God is love, knowing that God forgives us, he cannot see how what he is doing could be wrong. And this is a story of every one of us to one extent or another. His thinking, Rose's thinking was, a God of love would not deny me this love. A God of love would not deny me love with this individual. I want you to think for a second that when you are, I want to remind you, when you are in love, God does not suspend the rules of the universe. You cannot jump off of a hundred-story building just because you feel light and you feel invincible and you feel love and you feel alive more than ever. You cannot jump off of that building without the effects of gravity weighing fully upon you. And likewise, just because we're in love, it does not mean that the moral laws change. And we'll get more into that shortly. For about the past 10 years, our raspberry patch has been the pride and joy of our garden. A year ago, we discovered it had been stricken by a virus carried by aphids. It began dying, and the prognosis is, is within five years, it will be completely wiped out. And it appears to be on that course. It is amazing that a virus that's so small that it can't even be picked up by a microscope can cause so much damage. We've had another virus uh, we've been passing around and dealing with a little bit in our family. It got started when my granddaughter was chucker hunting or grouse hunting, grouse hunting with her father, and they got a grouse, and on their way back to the pickup, she dropped it in some bushes and reached down and picked it up, and come to find out that happened to be a poison ivy bush. So she contracted poison ivy, but then it morphed into some kind of a secondary infection or some kind of a skin problem. We can't see the submicroscopic virus, but you can certainly see the effects of it, sometimes in our lives, even devastating effects all around us. 
Paul was looking at the church at Corinth, and he was going, boy, they have a problem. And we know exactly what the problem was. It was not a virus as such, but it was sin. It starts out very small like a virus. It was sin that had grown into what Paul would kind of express as a gross sin. Sin, he said, the kind that you don't even see outside the church in the world. And if it isn't taken care of, there will be no church. And that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. No church, no way to, have a, no way to know Jesus Christ, no way to have a relationship with God, no way to heaven. It had to be dealt with. If you'll remember, Corinth was a seaport city with commerce from all over the world flowing through there. And along with the commerce, there was lots of viruses, not only physical viruses, but lots of sin viruses, spiritual viruses as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. Paul has spent the last four chapters of the preceding four chapters leading up to this, dealing with the problems behind, uh, behind the scenes at Corinth. And now he's dealing with the sins that are on the surface and is very ugly. In fact, he says there is sin that is going on within your church that is so bad it would make a sailor blush, so to speak. You have a man, in fact, let me read the second part of it. You have a, a man, this is the sin, a man has his father's wife. And I think it actually was his stepmother. But a man was fornicating with his stepmother. Now sin simply means to miss the mark. The first sin that got it all started was eating a piece of fruit that God has said, don't eat that. It wasn't murder. It wasn't adultery. It wasn't a major crime. It wasn't stealing. It was disobeying God, missing God's mark for mankind. And this sin that Paul is addressing here says, it is of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. Those outside the church know better than to behave like this. But he says, here we are, the church, the Lord's candlestick in Corinth, in this dark area of this dark world at this dark time. And you are behaving like this. And he said, I'll tell you what, or I'll tell you what, they have the exact attitude towards sin that we share today. That so many Christians and so many churches today hold. And that is found in verse 2. Here's their attitude. Verse 2, he says, and you are proud. This is going on and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief? Proud. Proud of what? Proud of, maybe proud of their church. Maybe proud of the mission work they were doing. Maybe proud of the education uh, program that they have going on, their outreach, their youth program, their children's. Maybe uh, proud of the new building they're getting ready to erect. But I would suspect a part of that pride, at least, was they were proud of their tolerance. 
You're proud of your tolerance. They had a sign out front that proudly displayed, all are welcome here. And before you get the wrong idea, all are welcome here. All are welcome here. But there's more to it than that. That sounds good. The idea that all are welcome sounds good. But a virus, once it gets into a host cell, oftentimes can force that host cell to reproduce itself millions of times over in some cases, causing the virus to reproduce itself millions of times. So here, you have a church that says, we want it. Bring your virus in here, bring your sin, whatever you have. During the pandemic and even today, people would refuse to come to church for fear of catching a virus. And yet, as a church, we'll say, hey, we don't care what you have, bring it in here. Now, don't forget, God loves the world. God died on the cross to save the world. Everyone is savable, but everyone needs saving. Everyone needs a Savior. And Paul is saying, by your actions, you're going to keep some from finding Christ. Because you are killing the gospel, you're burying the gospel, and you're killing the church. Your tolerance, although you are so proud of it, your tolerance and acceptance interfere with some people's salvation. Over in verse 11, Paul describes for us, I think, what I'm, what I'm calling gross sin. And I want you to realize that all of these sins, every one of us in this room, are not only capable of, but probably are committing them to one degree or another. But what happened and what was going on in Corinth, not only was there lust, not only was there inappropriate thoughts, but you're way over here to gross sin, a man living with his father's wife. But here are, here's what Paul describes. In fact, in verse 9, he says, I've written you in my letter. Now, I wrote another letter that we, don't, we do not have for us today. In my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, once again, there's a, there's a gauge, there's a, a, a number there, sexually immoral. Hey, most of us have struggle with thoughts occasionally in this area. But when it goes too far, this is what Paul is referring to. Or greedy. Everybody has to earn a living. Everybody has to have money to exist. Everybody needs to work. But when it becomes our main focus, the most important thing in our life, we've gone too far. Or an idolater. We struggle with keeping our right priority, keeping God first. But when other things are always in above God, we've gone too far. Or a slanderer. We're tempted to gossip. We're tempted to talk. But when we go cross the line, when it becomes too much a part of who we are, we cross over here. Or a drunkard. Okay, there's not a problem with having a drink or two, but becoming drunk crosses over the line. 
or a swindler taking advantage of others. So Paul is outlining for us, this is what he's considering. These are unacceptable. This is unacceptable behavior. And it goes on to say, with such a man do not even eat. Somebody who is behaving in that manner were not even to eat with them. So the proper response today for the remainder, our remaining time, the proper response towards gross sin. And somebody pointed out to me and helped me understand this after the last service even a little bit more. I've been, I've been, I've been struggling with this thing all week, and I hope you'll stay with me because I think at the end it, it'll help us understand uh, some things a little more clearly. But this doesn't, this doesn't just apply to the church. This is in each one of our homes. There are people in our homes that, that, or, or in our family, in our extended family, that are living in ways that we know are not right. How do we respond to that? How do, what is a proper Christian response? And so that's what Paul is going to share with us. That's what I'm going to share with you in our remaining moments here today. And number one, number one, the Christian should be filled with grief. The Christian should be filled with grief when we are confronted with gross sin. And I think this applies, first of all, as I said, in the church, but also in our homes to, to quite a bit of a degree. The Christian should be filled with grief. The church at Corinth should have been filled with grief over what was going on, what was taking place. And he say, Paul says, should you not have been filled with grief? They were... There they are being filled with grief that, the, that this individual is breaking Christ's commands. That they are introducing and bringing into, into the church a moral virus within their ranks that is tempting the Lord to judge, that is pushing the limits of God's grace, and living as a non-believer. Here's a Christian in their testimony. They're, they're a Christian, and yet they're living like this. And they're living as if they were not even saved. And he says, because of that, you should be filled with grief. And obviously, I think we naturally do this in our families when one of our, our children or one of our, our close loved ones is living in a manner like this. But as a church, he says, you should be filled with grief. We welcome all. We welcome everyone. Yes, but keep in mind, we're all sinners. We're all sinners here. Believers are sinners that are saved by grace, saved by the blood of Jesus. And you are welcome here to come and understand that and learn that and come to know Jesus. Over in chapter 6, Paul will share some things that it's like, you guys, do you not realize this? In fact, he's going to say that three times. In chapter 6, verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Okay, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? He said, this is, everybody, this is common knowledge for us as believers. Don't you know this? And verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Now he's getting into some, some you know, we approach, we approach 
sex, as in sex ed 101 and uh, the how and, 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 and all of that about it. Paul is saying, look, this is, this is not something like that at all. This goes way beyond that. Spiritually, we are the body of Christ. Spiritually, whatever we do with our body, it is like we're, Christ is with us because he is in us. Do you not know that? And verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is serious stuff. As I said, it is not sex ed 101. This is probably 404 sex ed. This is who we are as human beings and what these bodies are. How God expects them to be used. Do you not know how sacred your body is? No. This whole world has us confused. It shows it. It shows us this casual approach to sexuality. Now here's how important it is. Here's how important this is. Look at the second part of uh, second part of verse two. Should you not rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Somebody who's living like that, Paul says, they shouldn't be in the church. They should not be in your inner circle. Which is point number two. The proper response towards gross sin is to break fellowship. To put out of your fellowship the man who did this. Hand this man over. Now, we've never really gone this far before because if there is something like this, generally we might speak to somebody and usually, and especially in this day and age, it's, you know, well, uh, who needs that? I'm not going to associate with those people anyway. They're just a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Look, we're all sinners over here. But when it goes too far, it has to be addressed. I don't want you to get the idea that I'm going to come to your house this afternoon and, uh, drag you up front and say, hey, we know all about you. We only know all about you because we know all about us. Jesus gives us an example, which I think ties in very nicely with this. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, then tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now the key here, the question here is, how do you treat a pagan or a tax collector? We don't shun him. We don't say... In fact, we invite him to church. We want him to come and learn about Jesus Christ. We want him to come and learn about God's love. But they're not part of our closest inner circle. We don't treat them with disdain or hate or anything like that. We treat them as if they were lost. This one who says he or she is a believer and yet lives this way, we need to treat them as if they don't know Jesus. We need to hope for them and we need to pray for them that they will get saved or that they will come to a point of repentance. But we don't have sweet fellowship with them. And we probably don't support their lifestyle and enable them. Because if you're not careful, and, and 
unfortunately, this happens too much in relationships where we love them and it hurts so much. If we're not careful, we'll interfere with them getting with God, being able to straighten them out and being able to reach them and bring them to a point of repentance. And we'll come to more of that shortly. So number two, you break fellowship with them. Treat them like the lost person they're behaving like. And then look at number three. Hand the sinner over to Satan. Whoa. What does that look like and what does that mean? Paul tells us in verse 3, Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand the man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now, we have turned some over to Satan here before. But come to find out they really weren't saved in the first place. Uh, we had a guy going to leave his wife and go to another woman saying, I have to do this for myself. I have to do this for me. Well, after he left, you know, we turned him over to Satan, but it was too late. Actually, he already was Satan's, come to find out. He was kind of like Judas. We, we thought he was something he wasn't. If you're a Christian living like this, and we turn that person over, and, and even before we turn that person over symbolically, Satan will go to work on their flesh. And hopefully the idea is, is that Satan goes to work on the flesh and causes all kinds of things that he can. If you remember what he did with old Job, he asked God, well, you know, yeah, Job is a great believer. He's a very faithful person, but you, he's blessed so much, no wonder. You let me have a go of him and you'll find out. And so Satan started causing boils to come upon, upon Job. Satan caused physical harm to come upon Job. God wouldn't allow him to take his life. Satan has tools that we don't want to know about. We don't want to have anything to do with. Amen. You don't want to be handed over to Satan. But if we're a believer living like this, we are inviting Satan already. And the, the idea is we commit them to Satan. We, com we turn them over to Satan, the body over to Satan, with the goal that their spirit, their, their soul will be saved on the day of the Lord, on the day of judgment. Now, this is hard business. And it's hard business in the family. We want to step in and break their fall. The problem is they have to hit rock bottom. So we have to be very careful here. Not only in the church, but in our homes. And we can, over, we can overdo it. We don't want to put so much on them more guilt than is already there. So we have to be very careful. And this is important to help our teenage children understand how important this whole sexual purity idea is. Because we mess with it, and Satan will be there, especially for the believer, whether we turn him over to Satan or not. Satan will come and collect his tax. Hand him over to Satan. Number four, remove the sin. Remove the sin. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Being proud of how tolerant they were, this is not good. 
Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? He's getting into a metaphor here with having to do with the Passover. But what he is, the idea that you put a little yeast in the bread and it works throughout that and it causes the dough to rise. A little sin in our lives does the same thing. It's not content to just stay here. Sin is very, very progressive. Verse 7, get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, and the Passover was celebrated with unleavened bread, bread without yeast, representing the removal of sin. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, or a life without sin, the bread of sincerity and faith. As I said, this is a, pa a picture of the Passover, and the yeast symbolized sin. And the Jew, before he celebrated Passover, was to go through, through every area of his house, every nook and cranny, lift up every cushion and look under there for any breadcrumbs or pizza crumbs or any, any bread with, with leaven in it or any area of his life with sin, and sin was to be exposed and rooted out. And then there is joy. That's where the joy comes from. The joy of celebrating the Passover. The joy of celebrating Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. The joy of forgiveness and the cleansing of our sin and consciences. I, share, I started by sharing with you the story of Rose she thought that she knew God. She thought that this was love. But when she discovered Jesus Christ, the, her joy was such that she had never experienced joy like that before. Amen. Over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, but I'll set it up reading several verses prior to that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with Jesus... Yet we walk in darkness. We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Being purified from all sin is a wonderful state to be in. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. If we confess, if we get it out, hallelujah, the sin is removed, we are forgiven. Remove the sin. Number five, do not associate with the sinner. Quarantine yourself. We're familiar with that. Stay away from, get, stay away from whoever or whatever causes you to sin or whomever is them, are themselves living in gross sin. Verses 9, verse 9, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. This is the other letter he refers to. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, 
or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. Do not associate with those involved in gross sin. Stay away. Get away from them. Whatever, whatever causes you to sin, get away from it. Now, he says you can't leave the world. I'm not asking you to leave the world, he says. We're not supposed to. We are called to be light and salt. And we cannot be light and salt if we're not in the world. That's not what Paul means. Anyone who calls himself a believer but behaves in this manner, do not even eat with them. It's been a long time since we've had a good meal all together as a church body, since before the church, our previous building burned down. Hopefully we can do that sooner than later. We need to be together to do that. But for those who are living this kind of life, we're not even to sit down with them and eat. And number six, judge inside the church, leave the world to God to judge. Now get this one, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Now we hear, you're not supposed to judge. You are a hypocrite. You're, who are you to judge me? It is not up to you to judge, we say. If you are a believer and you are behaving that way, if you're claiming to be a Christian, we, I, have an obligation to judge that. God will judge those outside. We don't have to get all worried about what's going on in the 5 o'clock news or what either political party is up to. They're outside. God will take care of that. We need to take care of business here. Not only in here, but especially in here. Do not fret and worry, as I said, about what's going on out there. That is God's responsibility. What's going on in here. Now, like I said, we've never had to expel somebody like this before. The important application is what to do with it personally and privately. You have a child who's living in this manner. We have to be very careful how we deal with that. And do, whatever you're hearing this morning, I'm not telling you to go home and leave your husband or kick your wayward child out. What I want you to remember is that a tiny virus, they can be very deadly. A little sin can grow into something that we never intended. And all we usually can do with a virus is allow it to run its course. But Paul is saying we cannot afford to do that with sin. We have to isolate it and we have to deal with it. So personally, deal with the sin before it is too late. Start with yourself. As Jesus would say, get the, the plank out of your own eye and then you can help get the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Now, as I worked on this this week, this is finally what came to me. The scripture, this is one of the principles that, that we live in this world, and this is one of the principles of the world. The wages of sin is death. And we see death all around us. I'm doing funerals about every week, or at least one. And it's a result of the initial sin and the initial fall. 
The wages of sin is death. The problem becomes some of us are working overtime at it. Some of us are getting in extra time. And that's where the gross sin comes in. And then that's where Satan comes and collects his tax. As I said, and I, it's very important to realize, we all are sinners. We all do these things. But when it becomes too great, too much, sometimes we have to have outside help. That, and that's what this whole purpose is, is to reach out and help those who really are at a point they cannot see the truth and they cannot help themselves before it totally consumes and destroys them. God takes care of the world. Let him have it. We need to be praying for each other. Praying to help each other. Praying that each other, we might be able to avoid temptation. Praying that as we face temptation, we'll be able to resist it. Praying for ourselves, our spouse, our family, our church, our children that they will be willing and able to repent and confess when sin comes in their lives. It was always a prayer of mine as a parent. It's a twofold prayer. Lord, if my child is involved in sin, help them to get caught. Help them to get caught. And then help me to find out and be able to help them to get through that. Sometimes we need that help of getting caught. And the hard thing as a parent is when your kid gets caught to realize that they really did that or they're really capable of doing that. To not go in and rush in and bail them out and say that, well, that, that teacher, uh, she doesn't like my child. She's picking on my child. No, my child probably needs to have a better attitude. It's on me. My child did that. It's between my child and I. Pray that they will get caught and then pray that you will be able to accept that and help them at that time. Help them to confess and repent. And probably most importantly, we need to encourage and come alongside. The scripture calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, the encourager. He's called the paraclete. The Greek word is the paraclete. And it means one who comes alongside. It's his job to come alongside and encourage us. It's our job to come alongside one another and encourage and help. Because this is something we all deal with to one degree or another. And when it becomes a gross sin, it's something that we need all the help we can get, even all the agency of the church, if necessary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Lord, thank you for the warning that Paul gave us today and the reminder. We ask that you would help us to take that and to apply it in each of our lives, in our family, in our church. Not take it in any kind of a a judgmental way. You did say to judge it. We're to judge it. We're to call it what it is. But we're also to do it in a gentle way, realizing that I could be right there where they are. And that's where I am except for the grace of God. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for your love. 
We thank you, Father, for second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth chances. And as long as we're in this world and have breath and the capability to make a choice, you call us and you, you offer forgiveness if we'll just come to you and turn to you. Thank you again for your steadfastness, your faithfulness, and your love for us. Father, help us to take what we have heard today. Ask your Holy Spirit would go with us and help us to apply this in our relationships, in, in the situations we find ourselves in, in the future. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.